Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. back on the believe in the jets podcast i am your host andrew golden of jets x factor and as always i got my co-host former jet running back lamont jordan here with me lamont it is a very very sad day unfortunately it is not a very happy new year for the new york jets they are officially eliminated from postseason contention for a nfl record 12th straight season hard pill to swallow especially after starting as fast as they did posting a six and three record at the beginning of the year when a lot of people were speculating if they would even win a game before their bye week in week 10 and to have the start that they had being so confident and so unexpected and turn around and lose six of your last seven games and miss the playoffs to close out the season, not even have any way to get two or above 500, you know, that leaves a pretty bad taste in everyone's mouth. That's not something you like to see. Before we get started with this game, obviously, we got to thank our friends over at betonline.ag for sponsoring the show. We got NFL playoffs just about to kick off one last week of the regular season. Basketball season, college and pro is starting up again. So you got all the different sports going on. BetOnline is going to be the place for any betting needs that you guys might have. When you head on over, make sure you're using promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, on your first sign up and get a 50% welcome bonus. Thank you to betonline.ag, BetOnline, where the game starts. Lamont? Seattle Seahawks in Seattle, game on the line, playoff aspirations, winner go home, and the Jets follow up a stinker on national television to the Jaguars with another stinker, 23-6 to to the Seattle Seahawks. As a player, being on that team, being in that locker room, or a lot, any locker room similar, what, what's got that feeling got to be like? Walking off the field after that performance, knowing that you've, you didn't just lose, you got beat handily pretty much from the first snap, and now you're going to be missing the postseason. It's not a good feeling at all. You know, the, the, I guess the positive in it is that for these guys, they were in it all the way up until the last week of the season. And so you get a chance to come in and say, hey, you know, we want to play this game. Um, you know, for me, when I was in this situation, uh, once with the Jets, I think my third year, which was our worst year, like we were out early. And it's one of those things where you just, depending on how many games you have to play, you know, that third year in New York, pretty much all three of my years in Oakland, we were, we were out early, meaning you need, you, you got at least a good four or five weeks where you need like the miracle to happen or you're just pretty much out of the game. Uh, the mindset for me was we still have football games to play. I want to go out there and compete. I want to win. Um, you know, it's an opportunity for you to continue to get your stats. Some guys, they have incentive-based contracts, so maybe they're playing for those different types of things. Uh, for me, the reward was always, especially in a situation like this, I want to, I think the Dolphins still have a chance to make the playoffs. They do. Y'all are coming home with us. That's, that's, that's what I want. Y'all are coming home with us. Everybody. He was writing Bill Belichick off. He's going to go to the playoffs again. And I'm going to be perfectly okay with that because you all are coming home with us. That's, that's, that's my, that's your mindset is no matter how many games you have left, you want to somehow have your name mentioned either throughout the playoffs or at least that first week, because it's going to be the Patriots made it to the playoffs because the Dolphins did not beat the Jets. 
especially if the Patriots go out there and lose, and then the Dolphins lose, but the Patriots or whoever else somehow still makes it. So you have all these different things that you want to play for. But but with this being the last game of the season, you want to go out there and get your stats. You want to knock the Miami Dolphins out of the playoffs. But more importantly, if you're a young guy or a guy that was a backup, that this is going to be your opportunity to play, this is your Super Bowl. Because if you're a free agent, you're getting filmed. If you want the Jets to bring you back, you're getting filmed. No matter how it works out, win or lose, if you're a backup and a guy that this is going to be the most playing time you get, you want to go out there and play. And lastly, for me, I play for the fans. You know, you, you had fans who still came out there. You still had little kids who were excited to be at the game. You have fans who are still cheering that although they know the season is over, they just want to end the season on a good note. So although from a playoff standpoint, when you look at what you came into the season trying to accomplish, that's over with, there are still a number of things out there for you to play for. Yeah, no, there absolutely is. And Robert Sala talked about it himself in his press conference, going against a friend in Mike McDaniel as the head coach of the Dolphins, where he literally joked and said, "What I, you know, we're not trying to think about it too much, but would I love to have Mike sitting there next to me poolside in a couple of weeks at home instead of watching on TV? And he goes, you're damn right I do. So, mm -hmm. no, there's absolutely that element of wanting to play spoiler. There's that element, like you brought up, of incentives and contracts and, most importantly, putting on good tape because the NFL is always watching. There's 31 other teams, 32 teams if you count your own that are watching your tape too, and you never know when your next opportunity might come, and you never know who it might come from. And you never know who's going to be watching that film and might be looking to give you a shot. So it doesn't matter whether you're in it or not. You as a player, you have to represent your own brand and who you are as a person. Go out and put the best possible tape forward. Represent yourself in the best light, not just your team. Mm -hmm. I want to highlight something specifically. Speaking to you, Lamont, we, we talk a lot about your experience as a player. And obviously, that's a very uh, incredible experience. And it's not something that everyone can speak to. But you also have some experience as a coach. And I don't think we dive into that side of it a little more. And I want to get into that today because I'm looking at this from the aspect of if you're Robert Sala, this has got to be a deflating end of the year. When you know you were able to start strong, when you know you had all your young guys clicking and you're six and three and you're knocking off green, the Green Bay Packers and Lambeau and Sauce Gardner's running out of the field with the cheese head on and everyone's feeling great. And injuries or otherwise and that is a valid point it's you can't lose two of your best players in Brees Hall and Elijah Vera Tucker and expect that not to matter it did mm -hmm. but to lose let's be honest a rookie running back and a guard and have it derail your season I think is is a little overzealous so as a coach and as your experience as a coach I want to ask you what it's like if you have this experience or if you know anyone that's been in this sort of role for Robert Sala I imagine this next offseason coming up, you've never posted a win winning record in two years. You have a lot of talent on the team, but what are you able to do to put it all together? You've missed the postseason for 12 years in a row as a franchise, and you were riding high at the start of the year, and now the floor came out from under you. There's got to be some reflection. There's got to be some introspection, and, and I imagine it may not be we've talked about the idea of, of personnel changes on the coaching staff. That's here nor there, but just as a man and as a football coach, what does Robert Sala have to do this offseason to improve things? Because I think if you go into the, the next year trying to repeat the same formula that you had that failed for you, I think that's malpractice. Um, if I'm just using my experience as a coach um, and I'm looking at it from a head coach's perspective, um, 
I'm not happy at all. Um, I'm, 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 I'm sorry, let me not say that because I'm not going to say I'm not happy at all because my team got better from year one to year two. And in my the team got significantly better to the point that in the last week of the season, you know, the second to last game of the season, we just got knocked out the playoffs. Um, I'm encouraged with the direction of the franchise. Yes, it's been 12 years without a playoff win, but let's look at the reality of, and again, I'm speaking from Robert Sala's position. I'm looking at the reality that I came in after Gates, that I'm coming in to create a whole new culture change because of what, what I came in here to, to clean up. So from that standpoint, I'm saying, yes, I have this franchise headed in the right direction. For me as a head coach, first of all, if I was the head coach, I would be the play caller also. So because I was also offensive coordinator as a head coach. If I'm the head coach and my offense produced the way that it did these last two years, I'm going to remain the head coach, but I'm going to pass the offensive coordinator duties off to somebody else. Because I've proven that, hey, in these two years I've had, if I look at games that I've lost last year, will we have made it to the playoffs? No, but could we have won more games? Yes, because our defense played well enough, but the offense just didn't show up. And I think that this year we took steps backwards offensively. So from a head coach's standpoint, the first thing I'm looking at is I'm saying that, hey, I need to evaluate the offensive coordinator position. Um. Yes, we had injuries, but the reality, the fact of the matter is, is you and I sat here on this show and we break things down and we still had enough players that we could have made things happen. So from a head coach standpoint, um, this game is going to tell me a lot about how my players view me as a head coach. Because if it's one thing we've always said on this show is that no matter what the situation is, is that this team is going to go out there and play for four quarters. And so I'm looking at Not this recently. Match. This not recently, but I and was, that's that's the next thing I actually wanted to talk about. Not to cut you off or anything, but this mm-hmm. leads directly into my point. What changed? Because we spent so many weeks, Lamont. You're 100 <laughs> percent right, praising them for that, praising mm-hmm. them for that attitude, praising them for that fire and that fight. To it doesn't matter if it's down 13 with a minute and a half left in Cleveland. We're going to keep trying like we can win, and we think it's a possibility, and we're going to go out and do it. Doesn't matter if they're the big bad Green Bay Packers and Lambeau, and we're the lowly Jets. We think we can win, and we're going to go prove it. They had that attitude, and they had it for a long, long time. And then you get into this do or die situation where it seems like it seems like ever since the Minnesota game, they've just lost their confidence. They've lost their spark. They don't seem to have the same sort of energy and fight. Uh, I mean, they put out some embarrassing performances. And while the defense, I would say, has definitely done a better job than the offense, without a doubt, when you're looking at things just comparably over the last few weeks, it's definitely been a bigger offensive problem. But I also don't think this is the same Jets defense that we were seeing earlier in the year either. They generated one turnover in like five games. They were generating turnovers left and right to start the season. They had like seven interceptions in the first five weeks, and that fell apart. They stopped being able to turn the ball over. Their pass rush was good, but not as good as it used to be, and it really started to be Quinn and Williams and no one else. And when Quinn and Williams wasn't there for the Detroit Lions game, they really, really missed him. I feel like there was this this just lack of energy around this team. And when things were the toughest and when their backs were against the wall, these last two games specifically, 
primetime TV against the Jacksonville Jaguars against an AFC opponent while you're fighting for playoff position. And the very next week on the road in Seattle, if you lose, you go home and you put out back to back, just, I, I, I can't even think of the right word for it, but just back to back uninspired performances, back to back letdowns where it doesn't matter how quickly it is. It seemed like the Jets were down 10 nothing to the Seahawks early in the game, and that was it. They had no chance of recovering. That feels like an Adam Gase game. That feels like a game of prior years where you're talking about changing this culture, and you're right. He has. In a lot of ways, he has. In a lot of ways in the regular season, it was clicking. It's just seemed like such a stark difference for me these last couple of weeks that I don't know what changed to, to make it that way. I feel like Robert Sala being the type of guy that he is – execution may not be there you might have some other issues at hand but we shouldn't be seeing a lack of effort from this team in a do or die scenario i agree with you but that's why it goes back to for me it goes back to the very first thing that i said about what i would do the first thing that i would look at as a head coach is because you can't ask your defense and your special teams to carry you for an entire season yes there have been teams who have done that but if you look at those teams their offenses produce if you look at the 85 bears one of the greatest defenses of all time their offense still produce you look at that second in the league in offense that year you look at the baltimore ravens you know defense is is what got them there guess what they also had an offense that that's provided support you look at the pittsburgh steelers you know a top-notch defense offense provided support you look at tom brady's first five years and the New England Patriots, great top defense, but an offense that's supported. And so when I look at I still think I see the mentality, but at some point, it's it's almost like, um, I don't know what fighting game it is, but it's a fighting game where you can have, you can tag somebody else and have them come in. Think about it from a wrestling Okay, yeah, standpoint. there's a couple of those, yeah. All right, it's a couple of those games. Well, the problem is, is that it's almost like we're, we're playing with a teammate that, always wants to tag out the first time they get punched. And now you have to come in and take the blunt of the fight. And then when you lose the battle, it's like the person who was always ready to check out wants to blame you for why you lost, why we lost the fight. No, that's not the case at all. The reason that this team did this, the reason that this season went the way it went is because the offense was non-existent. And I've been saying it for the last couple of weeks is that this thing has looked like a boys and girls club offense. It's youth football out here. I was watching this game, Drew, um, the All-22, and I love the All-22. Man, I got onto it late, but I love the All-22. You remember the game Super Tech Mobile? Yeah. The Mobile where they finally put all the teams on there. Right? Mm-hmm. I love playing with the Atlanta Falcons because they had routes where everything was just deep. Everything was just deep. I can run four verts. I can run Andre Rising on a dig and a go and all that. That is what our offense looks like. So, so for me, it listen, I'm putting this season on the offense. Yes, the defense in the Seattle game, Whitehead played horrible, horrible angles. Offensively, I, I don't I don't even listen. I didn't even want to go look up his name because I don't I don't even want to say his name, but I'm just going to say his number. Number 66 on our offensive line was Duvernay Tardy filling in for Nate Herbig who was injured who's missed time come out of the the league and gone and continued his doctorate career which is very impressive to be able to do that but no he looked like a guy that doesn't consistently practice in an NFL system 
And as a veteran in the league, it's probably past his prime. No, I, he was, he was not good. He was not good at all. And so for me, I'm, it's, it comes back to the offense. We should have won the Seattle game. And I talked about, and we talked about this before the game, that my biggest concern was that if the offense doesn't show up, we're not going to win the game. Defensively, we got off to a slow start. You think about the first play from scrimmage, the big run, you look at, you look at the fact that, that Seattle had 346 yards of total offense. Like that's a lot, especially versus our defense. I mean, but what the hell? The offense is giving you nothing. If you, if I'm an offensive player and I need a boost from my defense, I need my defense to, to, to get a turnover. I need my defense to get the crowd hype and they never do it. At some point, we have to go to at least, especially when you get late in the season, you have to have as many uh, 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 reserved energies that you can find. That's why you're always looking for bulletin board material. You're always looking for some edge to give you some type of boost. Throughout the course of the game, if you're on the defensive side of the ball, you're looking for your offense to hold on to the ball, give you some rest, drive down the field, and come away with points, however they may be. You can't constantly have three and outs. You can't constantly have have uh, either three and outs or six and outs. This season was totally, totally on the offense. I'm not going to blame the defense. I'm not going to blame the special teams. This season, the way that it ended, and if you think about when things started turning around, this is when Zach Wilson started coming back. This is when Wilson came back. So if you have a guard who's just now coming back, who doesn't look like he has any clue as to what he's going on, as to what's going on. When I watch routes, the only people we have going short are tight ends and backs who are chipping defensive ends. Everybody else's route is 10 to 15 yards at a minimum. I'm putting that on the offensive coordinator. Yes, I've seen passes where the routes come open late as hell, but you're asking Mike White to wait for routes to come open with an offensive line that is one of the worst in the national football. There it is. I am putting this on the offense, which goes back to my first point. As a head coach, no matter how I feel about you, even myself as a head coach, there were times that things weren't going well. I would look to another person and say, hey, you call the plays because we have to go with the switch up. I'm putting this season the way it went. I'm putting this on the floor. I'm putting it on the offensive coordinator. Yeah, this is an interesting conversation. And I was going to say this a little bit for the end, but I feel like we're here already. So let's just jump right into it. I think we're Mm -hmm. both in agreement that Michael Floor is in over his head right now. And I think Mm -hmm. that's the easiest way to describe it is that this is a guy who is in over his head that when he has a bunch of star talent on his offense and everything's clicking and he's playing a bad defense and it's working well, things will work really well. And it's 400 plus yards of total offense and, you know, 100 and something yards rushing or when you're playing the God awful Urban Meyer Jacksonville Jaguars and their first game after he's been fired or something like that. You can rush for 290 in a game when Zach Wilson's scrambling for 100 of that and and things can look pretty good. This season, we saw what Michael Floor's job is as an offensive coordinator when things aren't going right. And I think your job as an offensive coordinator when things aren't going right is to be the calming presence that finds ways to make it easy. And we talked about this for a few weeks leading up to this game a lot where I brought up the Detroit Lions offensive coordinator and Doug Peterson in Jacksonville, how they don't care 
if something's easy. They don't care if something's something somebody else came up with. They don't care if it just got used against their defense and they saw it on film and they stole it from somebody. They'll do anything in their power to make their playbook better and make their offense better to give their guys the best shot to succeed and give them easy ways to generate yards. And we don't see that from Michael Ford. We don't see much of a, a, a coach helping out his players and putting them in better positions and altering his scheme to their strengths and weaknesses based on what's left. We're still running the same offense. Like we have Brees Hall in the backfield and Elijah Vera Tucker at right guard. And we don't, and, and that, and that needs to change. So this is the discussion because I think we would both, you know, in a perfect world, not having any personal relationships with anybody and an imaginary scenario to go, we are the head coach. Are we making a change? I think we would both agree and say that we would likely be looking for a new office coordinator this year. That said, from everything that's come out publicly, Robert Sala is not on that same page. And Robert Sala basically outright said himself this past week, he's not firing Michael Floor and that he thinks it would be too premature to even consider doing that. And he related it back to himself a few years ago when he was the defensive coordinator in San Francisco, where their first two years in San Francisco in 2017 and 2018, their defense really wasn't that good. Kyle Shanahan could have fired Robert Sala, as he said. He could have fired me and made me the scapegoat. And, you know, and who knows what would have happened, but he didn't. He evaluated, he looked at things, he, he trusted in me to get better. And the next year we were in the Super Bowl and had the best defense in the NFL. I... There's truth to that, to be fair to Robert Sala. There is absolutely truth to that. But I don't know from if what we've seen from Michael Floor and with how critical of a year this is going to be for the Jets in 2023, with young talent that every year you aren't maximizing is only going to get more expensive and more likely you're not going to be able to keep together. I don't know if this is the year you want to just put all your eggs in the hope basket and say, this will be the year LaFleur will figure it out. And because I'm going to put my faith in him, it's going to work. So this is the conversation I want to have with you, Lamont. If he's not going to be fired, I absolutely think they need to bring somebody else in as a senior offensive assistant to help him out. I, I, he can't be the really real voice in that room. And when you're looking at that room as a whole on offense, they've been dying for that voice since Greg Knapp, God rest his soul, passed away at the start of last year. He was that voice. He was that experienced person who had been in the league for however many years, been around a bunch of different systems, been there when things are bad, been there when things are good, and knew how to counter it. You have LaFleur, who's a first-time offensive coordinator. You have Calabrese, who's a first-time quarterback coach. You have John Benton, who formerly just was an offensive line coach, now doing run game coordination as well. I don't know if there is enough experience in that room to weather storms like this. I don't know if there's enough experience in that room. There clearly wasn't enough experience to develop their quarterback. There clearly wasn't enough experience to, to make their second overall pick investment work out. So I think you need somebody else. I just don't know who that is. Cause I think at the end of the day, Sala is going to be the type of coach where if he's bringing in somebody else as a veteran to try and be a voice in the room, he's not going to do that to completely and totally flip Michael Flores scheme on its head and say, you're running this guy's offense. Now it's going to be someone who knows the scheme. It's going to be someone from the Shanahan tree. However, that ends up shaking out. Mm -hmm. I, Gary Kubiak want to come out of retirement? Come in as, a, as an offensive role? I, is, because I think of a name like a Frank Reich who isn't part of that tree. And I think he's going to be the top name. Everyone's going to sit there and say, oh, if we bring in someone to help before, who's it going to be? I think everyone's going to say Frank Reich. And as much as I think that would help, I don't think that's realistic because he runs a completely different offense than what the Jets run. 
and they're they're opposite, you know, other sides of a coin, different. I'm really curious to hear your opinion on this, Lamont. What happens with this staff? Because if Lafleur isn't getting fired, and uh, you run it back in year three with whoever you're going to have at quarterback and whoever you're going to have calling the plays, if it's the same staff, uh, I feel like, like you said, that's a lack of accountability. And you don't need accountability isn't always just people getting fired, but bringing someone else in and acknowledging that this group of people that you have wasn't enough to do it on their own and they need another voice to help things out. That's accountability in my eyes. That's still finding a way to get better and admitting that it wasn't good enough before. Mm -hmm. I will tell you this. You brought a name up and I, and I had to be reminded that, wow, he was here. And, and may he rest in peace, Coach Knapp. Yeah. That was my offensive coordinator my last year in Oakland. That was a huge loss for this offense. Because and now, now just thinking about watching the Seattle game and thinking about what is it that this offense is missing, it is missing a, vez, a veteran presence who is a stickler for the details. That's what this offense is missing. And and coach Knapp was that person. I mean, he was a detail guy. He knows he I mean, listen, coach Knapp knew his stuff. I mean, he knew his stuff. I mean, but put it this way, it was an offense that before I got hurt in the fourth game of the season, I think I was in the top 10 in rushing. I mean, we were we were you know, we were fighting for first place in the division. Now the season didn't go well. I got hurt uh, you know, it was the Raiders. So as we see that sometimes there's certain teams is just it's just I haven't haven't it haven't had a defense since 1982. Yeah. 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 So, and we were also we're talking, this was my third year in Oakland, and we were on our fifth or sixth starting quarterback. So there's some similarities between the Jets and Coach Knapp. So the whole point that I'm trying to get to is that. They, I agree with you. They need to bring in a veteran presence. Like, if you look on the offensive side of the ball, who is our leader? Elijah Vera Tucker in his second year. A, a rookie running back in Brees Hall. A rookie receiver in Garrett Wilson. Who's the voice? Like, when you like, who's the voice? It's one of those guys that has been an issue. Yeah, I, I hear this every single day here in the DMV because the Jets and the Commanders are both going through the same exact thing top-notch defenses that are capable of getting you to the playoffs and could actually win a super bowl with the defenses that both of these teams have offensive weapons galore we have a rookie running back that was that was the bell cow the commanders have a rookie running back that's a bell cow uh 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 you got a stud receiver from ohio state and a stud receiver from ohio state the commanders have a stud receiver from Ohio State. Uh, 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 the commanders just drafted a top receiver in the first round this past year. The Jets just drafted a top receiver. The, the common denominator for both of these teams, it's two things. A, you have no idea who your quarterback is. And B, you have offensive coordinators that are running boys and girls club style offenses that is not maximizing their talent and both teams are struggling at the offensive line. So to close this off to your point, 
you have to bring in a veteran presence. I don't know who that veteran presence is, but I'm kind of conflicted with, with Coach Sal's decision. All right. On one end, it could be a situation that he can be saying, hey, we're going to finish this season out before we address this. And then we get to the offseason. And now a change is made at the offensive coordinator. For me, that would be the way he would handle it. But the fact that he came out and said that he's not, I'm going to say that. I don't think I'd have to go back and watch the exact clip to where I'm going to sit there and say 100% with his words. He said, I am not firing Michael LaFleur, but he was asked if he thought about making any changes to the staff specifically on offense. And his words were, no, I haven't thought about really doing that. Explain the story. Like he said, with his second year in San Francisco where Shanahan could have given up on him. It was very clear. He was supporting Michael LaFleur and that it didn't seem like there was any thought in his mind that it was going to be fired. I agree that there is, is a little bit of the coach speak of we're still in the year we got one more game left we're not going to make any decisions on anything and we still got to focus on our guys right now he's in the building he's part of us we're going to make it work but this didn't seem like that to me this seems like a guy who he knows is the younger brother of the best man at his wedding and a guy he's known for years and years and years that he's got faith in that he's going to try and continue to have faith in and it did not seem like it was a in the meantime sort of support well i will say this then as a head coach but it's it's like this as a player, I want to play for him because what he, what that shows is he shows loyalty. He's willing to give grace and he's willing to give you an opportunity. And as a head coach, he's saying he, that's also him putting some onuses on him. With that said, if we come back next year and LaFleur is like the, the, there's nobody that's older than him that has a lot more experience than him. There's nobody there to be in his ear, to correct him, to help him with some of these game plans. Then I think the same thing is going to happen. And we're going to be talking about a very disappointing year, which means that following year, I think it puts Robert Salo on the hot seat. Yeah. I'm looking at Coach Salo as a guy who is here for a minimum of five to six years because he's creating a culture change. He's already doing a great job. He has a top 10 defense damn near in every major statistical category. Like everything is trending up that he's going to be here for a minimum of five to six six years. You bring LaFleur back and we look and we say that at the end of this, at the end of next season, that we didn't go to the playoffs or we didn't make strides forward because of our offense. Now you're looking at being forced to fire him. You have nobody in place that already knows the system for the following year. That puts him on the hot seat. With that said, if he's going to stick with LaFleur, there is, and and don't bring somebody else in, there is no way as a Jets fan that you can actually have hope that things are going to look better unless in this last game of the season, we see something new that can give us hope to say, okay, you know what? We may not like it, but Coach Saul, because you're sticking by your guy, we've been sticking by you since you've been here. We're going to stick with your decision. We're going to support your decision. But everybody has to know that, listen, this is a decision that if it doesn't work out, LaFleur, you're gone next year. And the year after that, Coach Saul, if we don't make the playoffs, you're gone also. I, I, I fear for that because I think that the Jets have the right man for the head coaching job. I really do. I think that they have their I think that they have their Mike Tomlin. Yes. I really do. 
I think yes. the district team has their Mike Tomlin. You have to be as patient as the Pittsburgh ownership has been with Mike Tomlin. But as a head coach, you also have to surround yourself with coaches that can get the job done like Mike Tomlin has for the most part. Yeah, no, I love that. I love that comparison. I think there's a lot of similarities between Robert Sala and Mike Tomlin in good ways and in bad ways. And, and I definitely think that, but I think a lot of teams in the NFL would jump the shark at the opportunity to have Mike Tomlin as their head coach too. So I don't think that's, that's a, a huge compliment. That is not a negative whatsoever. This is where I, I kind of want to go next, looking at this, you know, off season as a whole, and I don't want to dip the fingers in speculation, but relating to what you're talking about i feel like that's pretty much what this whole conversation's been what we're down the rabbit hole at this point let's just get deeper so you know i I, i'm on board for it if they don't bring in a veteran presence in the coaching staff offensively which i think we both agree is really what they need i think there's a very very good chance the jets are going to try and acquire a veteran quarterback this offseason I think they are not going to want to wait to draft anybody. I don't know if they can trust their coaching staff to develop anyone that they draft. They haven't really shown that they can do it with their most recent opportunity. So I think they're going to look to acquire a veteran. And with all the stuff going on in Vegas right now, it seems like an inevitability that Derek Carr is getting out of there. And I don't know if there's a team that makes more sense for him to go to in terms of money, need, uh, you know, availability and success for him to have than the Jets. Now, according to reports I've seen is that Derek Carr wants his next team to be stable and not quite as unstable as Oakland. I think Stahl is a pretty stable guy. I think Joe Douglas is decently stable. I think they're in a better position now than they were, but maybe it hasn't been long enough. Maybe they haven't proven it. All of that aside, I think if the Jets find a veteran quarterback to start, I think maybe even they can be that voice in the room that gives them a little bit of experience where if you're a multi-year starting quarterback, you've learned offenses, you know, your scheme, you know, other people's schemes, you know, defenses that you've had to study. You, you're, you can be a part in, in the discussion. You don't just have to be a guy like a Zach Wilson or a Mike white. That's going to be yes, coach, no coach. And we're going to do exactly what you say and listen. And we don't want to, add in anything that we might think because we haven't been experienced enough in it yet. We don't know what we could be adding in to help. I think if you have that veteran quarterback, you might have those situations where he goes, well, this is what we used to do. And this is what I like when I see, you know, this coverage, I just motion to this easy little flip and it's a, a pickup on first down. Oh, okay. We can put that in. We can, we, we can add that in for you. I'm, I'm hoping that, there's going to be someone else in this room offensively to to guide things and and what we're doing here to be quite honest uh, and this is kind of where i want to end i think we've made this point you know uh, enough but we'll we'll end here they need to fire michael floor they're not going to <laughs> and so you're just putting like you're just putting a band-aid on a bullet wound in a lot of ways and and you're just trying to patch holes and you're looking for the next best thing that you can do. But there's not going to be many offensive minds in, in, in football worth their salt that you're actually going to want to come in that are going to be willing to not be the offensive coordinator that mm -hmm. aren't just going to want to be the play caller themselves. And they're going to say, oh, so we get to come in, make significantly less money and make this dude look good so that he can go get a head coaching job and we can get not carried on to his next staff. And now we're looking for jobs when it was really all of us making the idea. You know, that's not an easy sell. You also are going to have players where I think eventually 
you know, we don't ever see the players like come out and go, you know, I love our offense. I love our offense coordinator. It always puts us in the best position to succeed. I, I can't remember anyone saying anything like that. So I don't know if you're going to have a team. I, I just feel like you're playing with fire and, and you're really, you're, you're teetering on the edge of this culture. And when you go in your last two games, not last two games, but most recent two games of the year and do or die scenarios and totally and completely crap the bed, that's not a good sign for your motivation skills. That's mm-hmm. not a good sign for your ability to lead. And I don't doubt Robert Sala as a leader. Let me make that very clear. I know the guy is a leader of men. I know that people go to war for him. I know that he's respected in that building. I'm not doubting that for a second, and I never have. But at the same time, the performances in these past two contests from the New York Jets when it's mattered the most is not what would be reflective of a guy with Robert Sala's reputation. Mm-hmm. And it's you cannot have a repeat of this next year. Mm-hmm. I, I Quite honestly, Lamont, you're saying 2023, LaFleur might get fired. 2024, it might be Sala. I think you might have Woody clean house at the end of next year if they don't make the playoffs. Joe Douglas has won 13 games in three years. Uh, as for as much as he gets lauded, the team is 13, has won 13 games in three seasons under his tutelage. We'll see what happens in Miami to see if that gets to 14. But that's like an average of a little more than four games a year. That's That's bottom of the barrel. That's you win two games, four games, seven games. There's improvement. You're you're getting better, but you're still not taking the next sort of leap that you're hoping for. And I think if you miss the playoffs again, when you aren't making that jump in expectations where you could say we won four games last year and we almost doubled it. Maybe they do double it with a win in Miami. And, you know, we were fighting in meaningful games in January, trying to get to the postseason, And we just came up short. Just coming up short is going to be going nowhere. You're like, yeah. you're going to, you're, you're going to stay where you were. That means you yeah. didn't get any better. So it's, it's playoff or bust in my opinion. And it might be for this whole organization. It might be from the top down GM head coach, everybody. So if you're Robert Sala, I, I'm, I feel like you are getting in the way and letting your philosophy get in the way of reality. And I know that you got to stick to your philosophy in a lot of ways and you got to remain who you are and you can't be a rash decision maker and and overreact or anything like that. But I think we've seen enough evidence to where it isn't an overreaction. And I know that the personal aspect of it, of how do I fire this guy who I've known since he was a 14 year old kid and I was fresh out of college eating breakfast in his living room. It that's hard. That's a very difficult deal, but it wouldn't be the first time that you've had hard deals go around in the NFL. And Mm -hmm. this is still a business. And just because this guy's your friend doesn't mean that he gets held to a special standard and it makes him untouchable compared to everybody else. If he's not performing, then something has to be done about it. That's why I like the idea of giving him another chance with a veteran presence. Yes. I like the idea of, okay, for our own offense's sake, for our, our second overall pick at quarterback's sake to not have to learn a new offense amongst fixing his mechanics. You know, I like the idea of keeping things in tow. I agree with Robert Sala's point of I was in his shoes, not but two, three years ago when Kyle Shanahan could have fired me and made me the scapegoat and the defense was terrible and and everything would have been horrible. And who knows if I would have gotten another job, but he had belief in me and I was able to turn it around and and we put out a great product and it led to where I am today. And I want to continue that on. There's absolutely something to that. But if you start to see, this will be my, my, my parting shot. Uh, for Robert Sala. There's nothing wrong with trusting guys you believe in. 
There's nothing wrong with trusting coaches that you've been around, that you know are capable, that you believe are capable, that you know better than most other people would, and certainly better than people like us on the outside looking in, making our opinions. But you also cannot let that hope get in the way of what you're seeing. And so if we go into next season and you get part of the way through the year and things are stagnant and we're seeing the same sort of problems offensively that we've been seeing for two years under this staff, then yeah. as the head coach, Robert Sala, it is your job to step in. And if you yourself have to pull the play calling sheet out of Michael Floor's hands and say, I'll call the damn plays from now on, then that's what you got to do. You cannot let this team fall out of your fingertips. They're too close. The, yes. the his analogy of the difference between player a and player z is minimal and oftentimes just an opportunity that is a thousand percent true the nfl is an elite of the elite league the guys at the bottom of the 53 are not that far off from the guys towards the top and outside of the true star star players the vast majority of the league is very very close it's why you see so many teams finish nearly 500 every year mm-hmm. it's why it's so hard to go undefeated in the nfl and you have teams go undefeated every season in college. Mm-hmm. The margin of error and the margin of difference is so small. You cannot afford to let these things run out. And this team is a lot closer than a lot of people think. That You can't waste that. I agree with you, which is why I, I'm, I'm saying, like, we, you make a change at, at, at your play caller at the end of this year. You know, I don't know how that San Francisco situation went. But was it a situation where Coach Soller, where the first year was better than the second year? Let me get the actual statistics for you. I'll tell you what I think it was mostly. It was a situation where they drafted Nick Bosa second overall, and it was a situation where Fred Warner came alive. And so and so I think that helped a lot to make that Niners defense a lot a lot better. Let me look up these numbers. And and I and I ask that you know I'm I'm asking that because I'm not seeing that from Lafleur. I'm not seeing a situation where okay the offense was bad for two years, but we did see some signs in the following year to make us believe that you know we should stick you know we should stick with this guy. They were 25th uh, in points allowed per game in the NFL in 2017 in his first season. They were 28th, a three-point de- a three-spot decline in 2018. Uh, Robert Sala stays on as he's saying in this scenario. The very next season they go to the Super Bowl, they're eighth. Now let me ask you this. Offensively, where were they ranked those years that he was bad? And that's the 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 kicker. And I've done studies on Sawa's defense a lot in this sort of Seattle system. It doesn't matter whether it's San Francisco, Seattle, Jacksonville, anywhere the system has thrived, including um including when the Seattle Seahawks were really, really kicking, their offenses have been awesome. They've had really good offenses to match. So 2017, they're ranked 25th in scoring defense. They're ranked 20th in scoring offense. You go to 2017, they're ranked 28th in scoring defense. They're ranked 21st in scoring offense. And finally, 2019, they're ranked 8th in scoring defense, and they are ranked 2nd in scoring offense. Mm. Well, I'm going to say this. There's nothing from this offense that gives me hope for next year. 
There was nothing. Garrett Wilson. I thank you. And that's it. I have. Well, well, I mean, I, I'm thinking outside. Of, I'm trying to think outside of the givens, meaning we it's given that we're going to have uh, some some star wide receivers. I think it's given that we have a young backfield. Um, I think that Carter and Robinson will be gone. I think right now the only three backs that will be back next year that I would bring back would be Hall, Bam, and Ty, simply because. I like Ty and I like uh, Brees. Brees, you, you know how I feel about Brees, but also from a pass protection standpoint, all three of those guys I think are better than Carter and Robinson. Um, you cannot waste where this franchise is. And I definitely understand Coach Saul trying to reciprocate what he was given. And I totally understand that. And that's why as a player, I'm saying, you know what? I would want to play for this guy because he's showing right. his character. He's showing that he's going to give you grace and he's going to do all of those things. With that said, if I'm the owner of the team or the GM of the team and I'm having a conversation with the head coach, I mean, with the head coach, I'm saying, I understand that's your guy. If that's a decision that you want to make, I am bringing in somebody that is a veteran that is going to help oversee the offense, but specifically I'm bringing in a veteran to work with my quarterback because I'm not seeing anywhere where our quarterbacks have been developed. All right. When it comes to Derek Carr, this off season, if I'm trading for anybody, if I'm giving up things, I'm giving up things to get in one or two of the top linemen that I can find. Forget Derek Carr. Forget Aaron Rodgers. I think that with an offensive line, Mike White can get us to the playoffs and give us another year where we can bring in the guy, whether it's a rookie or a veteran, to learn the system. I think that Mike White is good enough to get the job done, but we cannot ask him to do the – he will not get the job done with the offensive line that we have, with the schemes that – we have the difference between the commanders and the jets when i watch these offenses is i watch the commanders and i watch guys that are open on a consistent basis that the quarterback is just missing whereas when i watch the jets i'm watching nobody open on a consistent basis so bringing the veteran guy to help out with the offense especially the development of our quarterbacks it makes no sense to pay a bunch of money and give up a bunch of draft picks for a quarterback that you cannot protect. We don't want a situation where we want to bring in a quarterback that his legs are his biggest attribute and we're wowed by everything because he makes all these plays with his legs. But when we need for him to throw the ball, he can't read out a defense. I don't, I don't, I don't like that recipe. Give me a drop, drop back guy that has enough ability to run that he's dangerous in running situations where we can keep the clock moving, but he can read defenses, get the ball out quick, but you also have to have a guy that can prepare these guys for those types of things. So if LaFleur is coming back, we're bringing, we have to bring in the veteran presence to oversee the offense, helping him out. And I don't care to be honest with you. I can care less about the quarterback position right now. If we came into if we come into next year and right now we're saying that Mike 
White is our number one quarterback. I am okay with that. I'm okay with that. What I'm not okay with is, is not having to looking at our offensive line the same way we look at our defensive line and say we got two to three guys up here that each and every week we could count on them to, to knock snot out of somebody's nose. We don't have that. We don't even have a scheme that supports that. Yeah. No, we don't. And if you're LaFleur and you're coming back and I'm a GM and I want LaFleur to be successful, this is what I'm going to go out and do. First of all, I'm getting rid of my tight end room with the exception of the guy that I drafted. And I'm going to get a tight end who just loves doing one thing. He just wants to block. He, he, he just wants to block. He just wants to be the guy that blocks. And and some point during the season in the red zone, we send him out for a pass. He catches a touchdown. The whole damn team is celebrating. We need a tight end like that. We need to bring in a physical presence. This offense in my opinion, and this is how I, I truly feel this way. If we had an offense that was just average. Yeah. Or offense that was just average, I would put the, jet, the Jets in the Super Bowl this year. With an offense, without an offense, we beat the Buffalo Bills. The Kansas City Chiefs defense has really never been much to me. To me, they've been all about Patrick Mahomes. And with the defense that we have, I think we give the Kansas City Chiefs problems the same way we gave the Buffalo Bills problems. I don't think there's a team out there that can keep up with us for four quarters if we have an offense that's just average. Yeah. That's just be at least get too average. Right now, we are we're not even in the hemisphere. Right now, we're not even pros on the offensive side of the ball. We are boys and girls club on the offensive side of the ball. And I know I keep saying it, but that, that is what it is. Seattle with Geno, who, if I'm not mistaken, was in the league when I was playing. He was drafted in 2013. Good. Thank gosh he came after me. All right. <laughs> Thank goodness he came after me. Geno. On a team that got rid of Russell Wilson, has a rookie running back. Two rookies two, starting at tackle. Two rookies starting at tackle. That offense is more efficient than our offense. We we, we just can't have that. We, we can't have it. And I know that I'm kind of going on a rant and I'm going on. It's just that if you go back to the show that we did when we kind of did our off-the-wall predictions, Anybody who listens to this show knows how much confidence and belief we had in LaFleur and this offense. Just go listen to the show and the predictions that we made. That's why we're being even harder on him and why it's even more disappointing is because we believed in it. Yeah. We thought it was going to get better. I can't put everything on Zach Wilson if he's not being developed. I can't put that on Zach Wilson. If he comes into the NFL with a certain skill set that everybody loved, and now that he's in the NFL, that skill set is nowhere to be found. At some point, we have to look at coaching. It has to be on the floor. And I and we just have to wait to the offseason to see what Coach Saul is really, really thinking. Yeah, no, it's gonna be it's gonna be the biggest part of the offseason for me. I think it determines the rest of everything else because I think if you keep Michael Floor, it, it makes it more likely you're finding a veteran quarterback to go with him because I don't think you can trust this guy to develop a younger player. 
I don't think you can trust him to, to do that. I also think you're you're going against everything you've said for weeks about we're sticking by Zach Wilson and we're going to continue to to develop him. Well, if you bring somebody else in to develop, you're developing two guys at once. You know, that's not going to be looking the same either. If you don't keep Michael Floor, then I think maybe you can reset things. Then maybe you can bring in the younger developing guy and go, well, this guy didn't draft Zach. This guy doesn't have a history with Zach. We're looking to, you know, build someone that's going to fit his scheme better and Zach's not the best fit and you can sell something differently. I, it, it's going to change whether guys that are free agents or, or trade targets want to come here or not. It, it's going to change, you know, what offense am I playing in? If you got any offensive linemen in free agency that you're looking to sign and bring in to improve, what sort of scheme is going to be run? <coughs> it's really important. It's really, really important. I'm, I'm an, I think we're in agreement. I think we know it needs to be done, but I think we know that it's likely not going to be done. And so we're going to have to find ways to work around it and go from there. On top of that, it, it, just to be clear as we're ending, there is a lot of problems, and I think Michael Floor can be blamed for, for a good bit. It is not solely on him. You don't have a quarterback, and that falls on Zach Wilson for not developing just as much as it falls on Michael Floor for not developing him. You have to put in the work to get better. If you, you're the second overall pick and everyone's jobs are on the line, if you fail and they're still willing to bench you halfway through your second season, that's not a good look. If you got every other person on your, on your team being ready to throw you to the wolves and not jump in and defend you when things are going rough, that's not a good look. When you have an offensive line that struggles to get any sort of push in the run game that gets dominated up front way too frequently and struggles in pass protection – I mean, if you're dealing with both of those things, it's going to be hard for any offensive coordinator to succeed. It is it is not going to be easy, but we needed to see more of an effort and more of a creativity to try and make it work, where it's not always the results themselves, where the problem for me and you, Lamont, I think more than anything, is if we were seeing this offensive line run different concepts that the things they haven't been struggling with and have it be a little more effective or the running back cuts in the wrong gap or someone gets a good run and they fumble that's execution problems that sucks you don't want to see that but that's not a coaching problem that's not something where you're going to turn around and go oh that's a problem with coaching if we saw some creativity and some functionality and and, and more of an effort from michael floor to try and do everything to he can to improve this offense while things aren't working i'd feel a lot more hopeful but what we've seen, in my opinion, is a guy that was getting carried by some of his star players, making his unit look a lot better than it really was. And then when all the spotlight was put on him, when those stars were gone, he didn't have any answers. And and, and that is someone who's in over their head. And that's why I said that start, the, you know, really the show in the breakdown is that I think he's just in over his head. And I don't know what the future holds, but it's we got one more game. We'll see what this next game uh, next game happens. We're going to see development of some more players. Uh, hopefully, we'll start to see some of these younger guys get in, get some more action. Hopefully, we'll see the Dolphins lose and knocked out of the playoffs, courtesy of us. Lamont, I think that does it for me. I ain't got anything else I got to say about this week. Kind of an impromptu review. We didn't talk about the game itself necessarily that much, but I think there really wasn't much to talk about with the game, and it was more a reflection on everything that we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks. So... Appreciate everybody for tuning in. Thank you to betonline.ag as always for sponsoring. Make sure you're following the show at B-L-E-A-V underscore in underscore Jets. Thank you guys one more time for tuning in and we'll be back real, real soon. Bye-bye.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.